Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. All right, a couple of things. Um, really excited this morning for this this message. You guys good? You guys all right? Because like during the uh, meet and greet time, there wasn't a whole lot of meet and greeting happening, and so I was wondering if you guys like took some Benadryl or something before you came. I, I just want to make sure that my church is alive today and ready to receive. Um, and I, I like participation, so if I see some heads nodding today, I will come and point you out. For the first time ever, I will come and tap you on the shoulder. Uh, I'm not wired to anything. It might feedback real loud if I move. So uh, anyway, I'm kidding. I, I'm, really, I'm really excited, though. We're going through this series on tra- transformation, how Christ, through the power of his resurrection, has the authority now. He actually has the authority to be a transforming, life-giving God. Like, he's not just some good teacher who's like, hey, here's some instructions. Hope it works out for you. Make sense? He's actually a good God who beat death, hell, and the grave, and has given us authority and power. Like, that's who he is. Um, So we're going to look at that a little bit more today. Uh, Another one of the stories that takes place between the resurrection and the ascension, uh, between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. We're going to look at another one of these little stories that we see in the Gospels. Um, As a kid, though, um, I used to go fishing with my, my, my pap. That's what I called him, pap. Um, I'm not from the city. I'm originally from the Gettysburg area, and my wife and I still have people ask us if we're from the south. Pennsylvania is not considered the south, but we were, we were real close to the Mason-Dixon line. And uh, so I would go fishing with Pap, and uh, we, we did it all the time. And I was talking like this week how I grew up on turtle soup, um, fried fish eggs, and pickled deer heart. I know, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, I loved those fried fish eggs as a kid. Like, that's, that's my childhood. I haven't done it since, so don't worry. If we invite you over for dinner, you won't get any of those things I just mentioned. Um, but, like, I grew up in that environment. It was all outdoors all the time, right? Um, and somehow I became a city boy. I don't know. But I would go fishing with my, my pap, and I, there's this one picture that's still proudly displayed in my, in my parents' house. Um, it's been, a, we've had it forever. And it's this little picture of me I was a tiny guy, uh, probably about six years old, and I have a chain around my neck full of fish just hanging off these hooks. Like just, I had gone fishing for one day, and I came back with, I think we counted 22 fish. Like, that was a successful fishing day. About three or four years ago, I went fishing with John Scritchfield, caught nothing. (laughs) So something happened between then and now. I'm not a fisherman anymore. I was when I would go with him, like regularly, like all summer, we'd just go out to the ponds. And I was a kid. And and if there was anything outdoors related at that time, I was pretty good at it as a kid. And then I stopped going and I stopped being good at it. Make sense? Um, I don't do that anymore. Would you go to Matthew chapter 4? We'll start in verse 18. We're actually not looking at this too much today, but I want to get you, give you a background here for transformation that takes place. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, or James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What I want you to see is that Jesus begins this ministry, his ministry with calling these disciples, and he gives them a promise, doesn't he? He's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and here's some fishermen, and they're out fishing with their fathers, right? They're out fishing, doing the family business, doing, fishing with their pat, basically. And Jesus walks by, and he says, hey, if you come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And it says, immediately they left their net. And that's a whole other message we could preach on, and I'm not going to get into this morning. But he gives them a promise. He says, hey, you come with me, and I'll make you something different. You're fishing for fish in your nets, and I'm going to change your whole life up. You're going to fish for men. Now, I don't think that was a common phrase, but there's a lot there to be said, and, and, and Jesus' rabbi is calling them, believing that they can do what he does, and they're like, yeah, let's go after this. So they leave everything for a promise that he gives them, a promise of transformation. Hey, follow me, and I'll make you this. Make sense? And they follow him. So that's where we're at. By the Sea of Galilee, fishing, Jesus says, come follow me. Now let's flip to Matthew chapter 28. This is the end of the ministry. Jesus spends three years with these guys, right? Three years going about, teaching about the kingdom of God, discipling them, leading them, teaching them, demonstrating the kingdom of God in front of them, doing miracles, doing signs, doing wonders. He does all that in front of them. This is the end, though. He's already gone to the cross, resurrected. They've seen his resurrected body. And here's the very last things that we see Jesus saying to them, right? You guys still with me? Now, this is verse 16. Chapter 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Stop there for one second, just so you understand. There's 11 now, because Judas has ended his own life. He's killed himself. Judas is gone. So this is the 11. Out of the 12 that were called, here's the 11. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They're back where they started. By the Sea of Galilee, now they're on the mountain. Over and over and over again, we'll see in the, in the Gospels that a lot of the ministry of Jesus is on the mountain by Galilee or by the waters of Galilee. And if you're in the mountain of Galilee, you can see the waters of Galilee. Make sense? Like if it's standing on the hill looking into the water. You can see what's happening here. See, they, they've, they've already been through these years of being in this place. They've, they've understood Galilee. This is a familiar place to them. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They come back to the same place where the ministry began. They're three years 
is up. We see right after this that, that the ascension takes place. This is, this is known in the church world as the Great Commission. You guys have ever heard, heard that before? The Great Commission. This passage is called the Great Commission. They're back to the same place, the place where he called them. And they worship. But what else? So they saw him and they worshiped, but some doubted. Who are the doubters? The 11 disciples. Some of the disciples who had just been with him for three years have seen him resurrected, casting out demons, delivering people, and they're doubting. Like, I don't like when people doubt me, right? I don't think you do either. Like, you, you don't like when somebody doubts you. Nothing frustrates my wife more is if our kids ask us a question, hey, can we go to the park today? And Ashley's like, yeah, we'll go after dinner. And then later, Haley asks, hey, can we go to the park today? Yeah, I said after dinner. Hey, can we go to, mom, can we go to the park today? Yeah, Haley, if you ask one more time, I'm going to change my answer. Anybody, any other parents ever had that conversation before? Like, it's yesterday, it was about wanting to go to a friend's house after church. We're like, Haley, that friend's not even going to be here tomorrow. Stop asking the same question you've already asked us three times. Like, we don't like when somebody doubts us. And the truth is, I've let many people down. I've given my word, and I've broken my word, or I failed to keep it up my end of the deal. And whenever somebody doubts me, or somebody doubts you, how do you typically respond? Just curious. Anger. We have one honest person in the front. The rest of you guys are like, I don't know what I do. Hmm, what do I do? I usually smile and Wave it off. No big deal. No, we get angry, don't we? We're like, how can you doubt me? How, like, don't you know my character? And I am a flawed person with brokenness. And here we have the son of the living God, right? And some doubt. After three years, this is the end. It's not like there's an extra training class they got to sign up for. Hey, how to get over doubts with Jesus the Messiah. 101. Like, they don't have that class. Like, they had already taken that for three years, right? Here are the disciples, and, the, and they're following the orders of a man who was once dead, and now he's alive. He's, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. They were standing with him at Caesarea Philippi, the most broken place they could think of. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll build my church here. And Peter has the revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've already received divine revelation, right, about this. They've already received that into their hearts, that he is the Christ. And here they, they were with him when he turns water into wine, when he casts out demons, when he heals the blind, the lame, and the leper, and when he tosses the tables in the synagogues. They were with him when they filled their nets when the night before they got nothing, and all they did was, he says, flip it to the other side. They were with him when he's sleeping in a boat in the middle of the storm, and he wakes up and he speaks and says, be still, and everything's still. They were with him through all of those things three years later, and some doubted. You guys see this? It's, like, it's, it's, it's insane. Some doubted. That word, doubt there, that Matthew uses, is used one other time. Do you know when it's used in, in Matthew, in the Gospel? It's not Thomas. It's, there's no term doubting Thomas in the Scripture. That word doubt, go to Matthew chapter 14. You guys still with me this morning? All right. 
I'm excited about this because there's something in this for us this morning. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. So they're back at Galilee again. And go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When, he, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, and for the wind was against them. And it was the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to, he began to sink and he cried, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Back at the Sea of Galilee, this pivotal moment in the life of Peter, Jesus, they see there's a storm happening, and Jesus is walking toward them, and they think it's a ghost, and then Jesus says, hey, it's me, guys. And Peter says, okay, you're my rabbi. You told me, come follow me because I can do what you do. That's what it meant. And so now he's in the middle of the storm and he sees his rabbi walking on the water. He says, hey, if it's really you, just tell me to come and I'll come. Because anytime you say come, it means you believe that I can do what you're doing. Right? That's what it logically meant to Peter. And so Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. And he's coming to Jesus. And then he looks at the waves. And Jesus grabs him, pulls him up and says, why did you doubt? Why? And they get back in the boat, and what's the response after the doubt? They worship him. They worship him. Here we are at the end of Jesus' ministry. At the end, he's already resurrected, and now he's about to ascend, and he's there with them one last time, and he's on this mountain by the sea where he's called them. He's promised them, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I believe you can do the things that I say, the things that I do, you can do as well. Come follow me. And, And here they are in this place of worship, and doubt they were on a boat with worship and doubt they get through the doubt into the place of worship see doubt here in this passage in matthew chapter 28 does not stop them from worship doubt does not stop you from worship in fact doubt is the thing that you break through to get into your place of worship does that make sense this morning If we keep our focus, see here in Matthew 14, he looks at the waves and not at his Savior walking on the water who told him he could come. If we keep our focus on what he is doing, not on what we hope he will do, then we'll find ourselves in a place of worship. If we keep our hopes focused on his words for us and not the waves around us, then we'll find ourselves in a place of actually acting out what he called us to do. Get back in. Get back into the boat and then worship. I was talking to a, a guy who used to come to City Lights a few months back. And I said, hey, um, 
you know, we're connecting all the time regularly outside of church. We're, we're getting breakfast and we're talking through things. I said, but why, why aren't you with us anymore? Like, what's, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm just a man full of doubts. I'm so broken over these doubts, and I, and I know that God's real, but I just don't understand if he's real, why this? And, and, and I, I can't come and worship because then that would be insincere, and I don't want to be fake, and I have all these doubts, so I can't come and be with you. I, I'm just a man plagued with doubts. And I looked at him and said, and? And what? Like, why does your doubt stop you from worshiping? If anything, the solution to your doubts is to come into a place of worship. If you want to get through your doubts, you walk instead, walk through them and begin to worship. Doubt has never stopped the disciples from following the call of God on their lives. So why does it stop us? We make doubt like this one last obstacle that we've got to overcome somehow or God's got to send some kind of crazy signs. You know what I love about the Old Testament when people doubt? Like Gideon, think of Gideon. We, we love to bash him for asking God for signs. But he asked God for signs, Right? He's a coward hiding out away from everybody else. And God's like, hey, you mighty man of valor, hey, I'm calling you to lead my people. And he's like, yeah, if it's true, then I'm going to put this rug out in the middle of the night and I want it to be wet and everything else dry. It happens, right? And then uh, let's flip it again. Let's make it the other way around. And God's like, all right, whatever. He asked God for signs and God gave him signs. And then what's he do? He walks in obedience. Don't let your doubts stop you from a place of worship. Don't let your insecurities, your fears, your confusions, your questions stop you from pressing in to worship. Here we have 11 disciples who have seen it all, and they still got question marks. Still got question marks. I I don't mean to be rude, but you haven't spent three years walking around Israel with him, you will probably have places of doubt in your life. And that's okay. Don't surrender to your doubts. Surrender to worship. Walk into a place of worship. See, your doubts don't stop God from being worthy of your worship. Don't let your doubts rob you of worship. Don't let your doubts rob God of your worship. How does Jesus respond to the disciples in their doubt? Because remember, we see in the, in, in the Gospels that anytime something like this happens, Jesus already knows their hearts. I mean, it's not like Jesus was confused thinking, these guys really understand they got me 100% on all my tests, right? Jesus was not confused. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't delusional here. He knows their hearts. He is the Son of God. And we see him over and over again when they're bickering about something. He's like, hey, guys, I know what you're thinking. Let me give you the answer. Does Jesus do that here? Does Jesus say, hold on, time out. Let's stop our worship of me. Um, let me clarify some things and explain away all your fears and doubts. How does he respond to their insecurities and their fears and their doubts? He gives them his trust. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. He responds to their doubts by giving them his job. That's mind-blowing. Some of you guys who are, are trainers for like some kind of uh, 
in your career, whatever it is. You've, have you ever trained somebody to do a job? And at the end of that training week, if they come to you with this massive list of questions and you've explained everything, you're probably not going to be like, yeah, you got this. I'll see you later. You're like, you, you call your boss and you're like, yeah, he needs another week. Something's broken. <laughs> not, not working properly. He needs more time. Jesus spent, uh, how many of you guys have ever spent three years training somebody? Probably very little. I mean, teachers, you go through a semester with some students, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to pass you anyway, get you out of this class, right? Or I'm moving on to another grade, that teacher's getting you next year. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, when we, when we encounter that with our disciples, with our pupils, with our students, we're like, hey, I'm done. You, you're kind of slow on this thing, and I'm going to find somebody else. Jesus doesn't do that at all, does he? He says, you might doubt me, but I don't doubt my call on you. Peter, I said, get out of the boat because I said you can get out of the boat. Why did you doubt that, Peter? I'm making you fishers of men. Now be fishers of men. I've already given it all to you. This is who you're supposed to be now. This is who you're supposed to be. I'm excited, guys, this morning. I don't know if you know that or not. Jesus says, you may doubt me. My promises. You may even doubt yourself in this, but I don't doubt you. I don't doubt me, so go. Go, baptize them. Disciple them. Teach them to observe. What does he say to observe? Teach. So if, if you're to make a disciple, what is that disciple supposed to do then? All that Jesus did. He says, teach them to observe, to do all the things that I've commanded and taught you. Do everything that I've modeled, that's what you need to do, and then you need to teach them to do the same thing, and they need to teach the others to do the same thing. Jesus prays this in John. This passing the baton of doing all that Christ did. And he says, even in the midst of your doubts, I'm still giving you this responsibility. I've made you something. You're not who you once were. Does that make sense? Some of us live our lives letting our doubts keep us from our worship. Some of us live our lives letting our doubts keep us from being fishers of men. But let me say this, being fishers of men is the only thing that matters. Some of you guys are processing it because you don't know if you fully believe that. Let me say it again, write it down. Being fishers of men is the only thing that matters. Only. Like if you're, if you're going to rank things in your life priority-wise, like if your top list doesn't say fishers of men, then you got your list messed up. Like I, my wife and I, we just had this conversation last, last week. Sometimes being fishers of men isn't fun, right? But Jesus looks at his disciples, and he, at the beginning, he says, hey, follow me, I'm making you fishers of men. At the end, he says, hey, let me tell you how to go make disciples. I'm giving you one da- task. Go make disciples of all nations, teach them to do what I did. That's your job, now you're fishers of men. That's the only job he's ever given you. So many people wander around wanting, wondering what is God's plan for my life. It's, it's really simple. To know him, love him, and to make disciples. That's it. And we get one of them pretty good when it's convenient for us. We, we love to get into our quiet spaces and read our devotions and take that Instagram with a cup of coffee and, and the Joyce Myers devotional book we got. We love that. Snap. 
Yesterday, Ashley and I were driving up Mulberry, and like the, they had the university graduation. And I'm looking, and there's a dad driving his black Escalade or whatever it was, and the daughter's in the back seat, window down, ha- face out, doing these faces, like taking that selfie, right? We, we love those moments about us. And sometimes our worship really does feel like a moment about us because it feels good to be in his presence. And that's good. John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. It's to know God and to delight in him forever, right? But he didn't call us just to that. He called us, go make disciples. Get. That's what he says. That's how my dad would say, get. Get out. Go. Don't come back till you're done. And where does he tell us to stop at? Where does he say to stop making disciples? All nations. All nations. We wake up in the morning with our doubts and our insecurities and our confusion and our questions, and we look at ourselves in the mirror, and we think, I can't make a disciple of myself. (laughs) But Jesus looks in that same mirror, and he's like, I don't need three years with you. I've already given you my spirit. This is before the spirit falls, right? I've given you me. And I've transformed you into a fisher of garbage fish that you'll eat for a moment and make a couple bucks off of. But to a kingdom, eternal value, you're a fisher of men. Get out and do it. Let let me clarify one more thing. This is not something just for the 12 or for church leaders. This is for all disciples. And if you call yourself a disciple, you cannot not make disciples. I know that's a lot of knots in a row there. Jesus didn't call any of us to be converts. He didn't say, go make converts. Get a bunch of them to say a sinner's prayer and and to do these classes and and somehow they're in. He says, no, go make disciples who make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them and get them moving. Keep it going. Make sense? Jesus has given us one task. One task. You have one job. One primary job, and that, and that starts definitely in your home with your family, to love your wife, to love God, to serve others, to love others. But Jesus has given us a clear commission to go make disciples, to be fishers of men. You, um, I, I'm a sucker for superhero movies, right? And there's always that one guy in charge, right? That one guy in charge. And when he says to go do something, they do it, right? I'm just thinking of Thor. Like, like just this like awesome, kingly presence right and like they just do it and like we we watch those movies and we're like man he was like the hero he man i'm a star wars junkie too right obi-wan comes in here and says hey be a jedi we're all a bunch of jedis all of a sudden we got kids running around disney world i mean just in flocks in the hot florida sun just to be a jedi but we have let me say this this is the savior of the universe the god of the world who spoke the cosmos into existence and he says hey go be disciple makers and we all kind of like i don't know if he's talking about me i don't know if he thinks i can actually do this you guys see in the contrast here like jesus didn't look at this group and he's like hey i have a commission for you guys but uh not bartholomew or thaddeus because nobody's going to like your names and they're not going to pick your names for kids later on. So not you guys. You don't make disciples. Just the other nine that we remember their names. Like Peter, that's a good one. Peter, you're the, you're the leader of the disciple-making movement. Bart, figure something else to do. Like that's not what he did, did he? He took all that were with him and he says, hey, I've given you a job. Go do it. 
Go make disciples. Why? Because I've transformed you from fishermen to real fishermen. Fishers of fish for you and your family to fishers of men for me and my kingdom. Jesus, following Jesus, transformed people from just doing business for their pockets to doing business for his kingdom. Jesus transforms people from eating fish to feeding flocks. Jesus transforms people from leading their families to discipling nations. Jesus has called us to transform the world because he first transforms us. You guys getting this this morning? God is calling you to move through your doubts, not stay under them. Today, I'm not a great fisherman, like fish-wise, real fish, like swimming the water fish, because I stopped going with my grandpa. I stopped fishing. I think some of us aren't great fishers of men because we stopped spending time with our father. We stopped going fishing with him. And I want you to see this morning that the transformative work of the gospel is he is calling each one of us to come back to be with him and to fish with him. Jesus ends that statement by saying, behold, I'll never leave you. Like, I'm with you always to the end. Make sense? Jesus says, I'm always with you. Fishing is a dirty job. Fishing for men is a really dirty job. But it's the only one he's called you to. It's the only job that he's asked you to partner with and and get your hands dirty and go out there and make disciples. Being with people is dangerous. Anybody anybody attest to that? Getting out there and, and speaking the gospel brings ridicule, it brings hardship, it brings persecution, it brings frustration, it brings heartbreak, but it ultimately brings about the kingdom of God. And that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that I'll be able to stand in front of him and say, Father, I, I, was, I was obedient and I spoke when I needed to speak. Does it make sense? That's the only thing that really matters and I have to remind myself of that every day. I asked Ben to bring this picture up here. We, when we bought this building, this was a church. Um, worship team, come forward. So when we, we planted City Lights, um, Jared, our founding pastor, was born here but moved away when, when he was really young. And uh, his family is originally from this area. A lot of families still in this area. But we, we sensed that the Lord was telling us to come back here because we knew less, I think it's 3.5% of the people in this region are what's considered evangelical. Evangelical, those who believe that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Make sense? So that we come to God through Christ, through trusting in him. So less than 3%, the, I think it's the Baptist Missionary Board considers anything under, th- it's 2.8%, an unreached people group. So basically, like, think of that remote tribe in the middle of Africa. That's what they would say we are. <laughs> Scranton is a random tribe of unbelievers. We're a bunch of head, headhunters, basically. <laughs> like, that's what they would look at us as. So we, we heard that call, and we're like, hey, we, we have an answer for it. It's called Jesus, right? We're going to come, and we're going to do everything we can. And we came in with a lot of passion and a lot of zeal, and we hit the streets regularly with 
with just our hearts to worship and to declare him. And we began to just pray for the city. And so we were in an old building downtown or a, a storefront downtown. And uh, we were getting robbed financially there. And we just asked the Lord to provide for us a building. We, we were about a month away from having nowhere to go because we had decided not to close or not to renew our lease. And uh, we got a phone call from a realtor about this space. And so Jared and I, we walked. Ben, were you in? You were here for that walkthrough too, or no? You were, he was working. So we came and we walked through the building. And I just felt super overwhelmed. Like, God, this, this place could never be ours. This is too nice. No paint was falling at that time, so it really looked nice. Um, this whole stage looked completely different. It was much more um, old church with big golden crosses and velvet curtains and, and massive altars and big chairs. It was kind of wild. It if I would have had these chairs up here, it would build my pride, so we got rid of them. I'd be sitting in the throne all the time. <laughs> we got rid of them. But we just were like, okay, God, Whatever. If this is, this is it, let it happen. And he, uh, he opened up a door that we never expected. A company that only gives out loans to a certain denomination, which we are not a part of, said, hey, we'll, we'll give one to you. You'll be the only one we've ever given one to, but we'll give it to you. I, re- I remember just being wrecked. Like, we're in our early 20s at that time, and we have a building and a house next door that cost us less than half of what it costs us to have a storefront store downtown. That's wild, right? And so we found this building, and we began to get in here and kind of dig through some stuff because the church that was here um, was the United Methodist, Providence United Methodist, and they had been here since 1851. Uh, actually, the church was meeting here in as early as 1793, I believe. Um, but this building was built in 1851. That part was built in 1917. And um, so it's got a lot of history. And the janitor of that place said, hey, he's like, yeah, we just kind of left everything. Um, this is, he told me, and I could be wrong or he could be wrong. I'm just, I didn't do any research. He said, this is the second oldest building in Scranton. I don't know how accurate that is. That's what he told me. Um, since then, I've heard many people mention, hey, you know where your church is at, right? That's Providence Corners. That's the oldest part of the city of Scranton. Like, this is the original area of the city. Like, this whole city was birthed right here. And um, they started the Methodist Church at the beginning of the city. And they began to move and grow. And, and we were digging through the building, and we found some pictures. This is the only one that was actually in a frame that was kept in a good condition. And, and I'll set it over there later for you guys to look at. But it's literally filled with probably about 100 men in suits and ties. And the picture, the date on this is 1914. 1914. And then we have another one that looks just like this, but it's in pieces because it wasn't preserved. And it's got the women and children as well. They're all sitting out front of the church. You can see the trolley tracks um, right, in, right in front of them. And you can see the house beside them as well and how that wasn't there. Um, it's a pretty wild historical picture to look at. But the reason I keep this in my office is because in 1914, this church in God's Providence Corners, Providence, it's a, it's a biblical name, it's not some random word, Providence, God's provision, the founding of the city, God establishes this place of worship. And they've packed this place out. I mean, you, when you look at the one with the women and children, it's nuts. Like, how did they get that many in here? Like, I don't know. Like, we all spread out like this. And it's like, we can fit 80 of us. That's good. <laughs> they had hundreds in this building. 
And the reason I keep this is because somewhere between 1914 and 2011, they have gone from hundreds of people of all ages and, and, and demographics coming together for worship and reaching the city in Providence Corner to a place of about 30 people all over the age of 65. What that reminds me is that somewhere along that journey in the city of Scranton, they forgot these words. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Somewhere they forgot those words. They were called to live a life transformed that's transforming the city, and they stopped. And I'm not saying this to bash the Methodist church or anything. I'm saying this to remind us that we have been given a commission, the Great Commission. He's called us to stop being fishers of yourself, stop being fishers for your own pockets, your own kingdoms, your own jobs, your own securities, but be fishers of men. That's the only thing that will ever matter. Only thing that will ever matter. I might, this might sound harsh to you, but I'm saying these words because the same way Jesus was able to utter them to his disciples in the midst of their doubts, I'm able to utter them to you as this body saying, I believe God's call on you is still real and I don't care about your doubts. Let's go after this thing together. That's my heart. I hope hope that you're with me on this. Will you come in spite of your doubts and worship him? Will you move from worship to make disciples? Jesus is ready to meet your doubts with his commission with a trusted task. He's given you his job. Have you ever thought about that? The God of the universe looks at you and I and says, I'm giving you my job because I trust you with it. Sometimes I look at the church today and I think, God, I think you made a mistake. And God's like, no, I didn't. You just don't see what I'm doing yet. Jesus is ready to meet your doubts with a new promise. I'm transforming you. Let me transform you because I can. Come follow me. Come follow me. Would you stand? Jesus gave his disciples a promise in Matthew chapter 4. He said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He makes them fishers of men. He says, hey, I did it, guys. I, I did what I said. Go. Go. I'm fulfilling my promise. Go. But he doesn't end with one promise fulfilled He gives us another. I am with you always. I'm with you always. That means right now, God is with us as we make disciples. Right now, he is with us. Jesus. What did God say to Mary that his name will be called? Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the end of his life, on the earth, at the end, before he ascends, he says, hey, I'm still Emmanuel. I'm still God with you. I will not leave you. If we get this one fact, our lives will be transformed beyond what we can even imagine. If we grasp the idea that he's never left us, how powerful will will this church be? How powerful will you be with your friends, with your family, Just like Robert, I was saying earlier, driving an Uber, the guy knows God's with him. The presence of the Lord is on him. And here's a Satanist in the back, ripping off a necklace, throwing it out the window. That's God with us. 
the word become flesh and dwelt among us. And then even when he ascended, he says, I'm still with you guys. I'm still with you. It's my promise. Jesus has chosen to continue his work through us. Let's move beyond our fears and our doubts. Can we do that? I'll give you a real practical way to do this. June 11th, we're having another day of street evangelism. Be a part of it. Move beyond your doubts and your fears and come out and be a part of it. But really, every day is a day for fishing. How are you going to fish this week? Do you trust him? Can you move beyond your doubts? Let's worship him by fishing. Let's worship together.